Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Suddenly, people paid attention to me. They were nice to me. They wanted to hang out with me. Boys thought I was cute. And so in my little 13-year-old brain, I was essentially taught that the way that I looked was more important than who I was because I wasn't a totally different person than I had been three months before, but suddenly everyone wanted to be my friend. And so I was like, oh, so this is how it works. Okay. So, you know, blonde hair, big boobs, cheerleader, like, you know, cute clothes. And that kept being reinforced for me over and over for, I mean, the next 10 to, I guess, 10 to 15 years. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This week, I am bringing you a female powwow, an incredible conversation with Molly Galbraith. She is the author of the new book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. This is being released March 9th worldwide. And let me tell you, this is an uplifting, relentlessly authentic awesome, awesome book. And we are going to dive into all of the pieces of the book. And before we do, I just wanted to thank you, all of you, those of you that have bought my book, The Betty Body, who have left reviews on Amazon and who are sharing. That is the big thing that we keep hearing is I have to share this with my girlfriend. So I have Um, friends and acquaintances and people who are buying the book are buying multiple copies of it to share. So I would love for you to if you felt so inclined to take a look at the book on Amazon or wherever uh, you like to purchase your books. And if it resonates with you, share it with your girlfriends. That is how we reclaim the sisterhood. That is how we start to change this often toxic, sometimes patriarchal world um, and really create an environment for everyone to thrive. So, And then once you do buy the book, head over to BettyBodyBook.com 
betbodybook.com. Nice little tongue twister there, bettybodybook.com. And of course, as I like to say, I treat and spoil my Bettys. I love to spoil you rotten. So I have created a entire program for you that includes how to do keto for a woman, how to cycle keto as a woman. So there's nutrition, all the recipes. You don't have to think it's just done for you. And we do resistance training. So whether you've never lifted a weight or you've been lifting for years, home workouts for you to build beautiful muscles. And then of course, the missing piece, which I think is often missing in most regimens, which is rehabilitation. So you get all of that absolutely free with your purchase of the Betty Body Book. So purchase it wherever you want to purchase your book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. And then head over to bettybodybook.com. All right, now on to the show. So I sat down with Molly Galbraith. She is someone that I have known, not uh, personally or on an intimate level, but as we were talking, I hope that you'll hear that I fall more and more in love with her as the conversation goes on. We are cut from the same cloth. Now, Molly, if you have not heard of her, she is the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong. This is the world's largest platform providing evidence-based interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women. Um, she also teaches health and fitness professionals who work with them and including uh, industry-leading certification programs and personal coaching. So it is a really, really great platform. And what we talked about was all of the constructs in her book. So I was lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of the book. And we talked about her origin story. So how you know, she, uh, through her life, felt like she was marginalized, how she, as a young woman, you know, as young as, you know, grade eight, and I've talked about my experiences being bullied in elementary school as well. So how uh, some of these bullying and sort of passive aggressive tactics that can sometimes happen in elementary school, how that shaped her view of what it meant to be a woman and how, you know, women show up in the world. So we talked about her origin story and how she started this sort of dysfunctional thinking around what it is to be a woman. And I think many of us, as you listen to it, will be able to relate to her. And then in her book, we move through some of the foundational principles for how you can become a strong woman. And then as you become a strong woman in your own right, how you can then move to lifting each other up. And this is, I just love this so much because this is really very, in, in, in the goals that she's had with this book are very similar to the goals that I've had with mine in that once you get good with yourself, you know, once you love the skin you're in, now you want to spread it around. And I've had coaching clients and women who I've worked with over the years that have done just that. They get good in their own skin and then they want to, they want to spread the, the, the fairy dust and the sprinkles um, to other women in their life. So we talk about a couple of principles, a few here that I'll, I'll mention in the intro, believing that you are worthy of your own care, like mic drop, you know, embracing small and simple changes, getting curious, 
finding your community, right? So, and we talked about this on the podcast. I have said this multiple times. My community is my immunity. That is how I keep myself feeling connected to both my peers and to my Bettys um, in our Hello Betty membership and how we can really move away from this scarcity mindset, like sort of hogging resources to be able to share it with everybody. We talk about the comparison trap. I have done this oh so many times and I still catch myself doing it today, you know, which is, you know, the comparison trap is basically you comparing yourself to someone else who's usually further along in the path and you you know, want to emulate some of the successes and accolades that they have had. So she talks about how to know, you know, how to identify when you are in the comparison trap, what are some things that we might find ourselves doing or catching ourselves doing. Um, we talk about the shame spiral, which is often follows the comparison trap. So you look at one of your heroes, for example, and then you say, man, like, I haven't done any of that. Like I, you know, I am not as good as her. And then the shame spiral starts. We talk about her viral post um, where she, uh, we talk about this idea that um, the headliner was a woman in the US likes her body, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, It's like one of us escaped and that was her (laughs) and basically was shared like 500,000 times or something like that. And then we talk, we finish off the conversation talking about how we can begin to lift each other up. And we talk about identifying our values, retraining our brain to be able to move into that abundant mindset, curating our environment, both our internal and our external environment. Overall, such a joy to speak to Molly. I hope that this conversation is going to inspire you to not only get better in your own skin, but for you to begin to look for ways that you can lift each other up. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with the marvelous Molly Galbraith. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. 
In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family. And over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apreski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. And for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. All right, Bettys, I am so excited to welcome Molly Galbraith to the show. And we are talking this week about her brand new book, uh, which I hope is actually going to be a movement uh, called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Stephanie. It is an honor to be here. Oh, well, let's, you know, we usually when we start off conversations, you know, if there's a guest that I haven't necessarily met in person before, I always am curious about the origin story. So where did you get started and how did things, uh, you know, fall into place for you? But in reading your book, I think your whole book in, in a way, in a sense is an origin story. So I wanted to actually start right at the beginning in chapter one, like the first couple of lines I was, I was like, oh, this is, this is something special. Um, so let's actually, can we go to grade eight, um, and maybe describe your experience in grade eight and then what some of the takeaway lessons you learned as a young woman, a young girl, um, and some of the, like the female dynamics that you experienced. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, um, chapter one starts off with me talking about being away on a trip with a group of friends in eighth grade, a school trip, I think it was a school trip or a church trip, um, and they started bullying me. So somehow a rumor got passed around that I had worn the same pair of underwear two days in a row, and they all started calling me to wear. And it was, I didn't know what was happening. They would say, hey, Molly, what are you going to wear tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe jeans, maybe a dress. I'm like, no, no, what are you going to wear? And then they would all start laughing. And it's that kind of laughing when you look around and you realize that like you're the only one that doesn't get it. And you realize that you're the butt of the joke. And these girls were supposed to be my friends. And it was just like, even now, you know, makes me tear up thinking about it um, because it was so painful. It's like, why are they, why are they doing this to me? They're supposed to be my friends. And so the next day I woke up and I was, you know, bracing for the same bullying and um, actually something really interesting happened. Another girl in our group became the target and they started some rumor about her and you know, you would have thought that I would have had some compassion for her having been in her shoes the day before, but I was so relieved that the focus wasn't on me that I actually joined in and started bullying her with them. 
And that moment taught me that the way to be part of the in crowd, the way to be cool, the way to be accepted, the way to have connection with other people is to step on other girls and women. Um, And that was a really powerful lesson for me. And unfortunately, one that, you know, I embodied at certain points in my life going forward. um, And is a big part of why I'm so passionate about not doing that today because I have been through that experience and um, yeah, it's been, it it really shaped many years of my life. Right. And I think there's so many women who are listening to this who can relate to that. I certainly can relate to the grade eight, the grade nine, the grade 10, sort of that interaction. And I think you very poignantly in the book describe, you know, how a young woman's self-esteem begins to develop. And we start noticing that we are rewarded for, you know, the clothes that we wear, or we start getting rewarded for the way that our, you know, if our body looks a certain way and those are the things that are rewarded rather than, you know, our achievements, our capability, our personality. And I think you mentioned in, in, I think it was still in chapter one in the book that you noticed that, you know, boys would start paying attention to you and that now your self-esteem became, became completely dependent on external reinforcement on external validation. And this is something we talk about on the podcast a lot. And I would, I would love for you to maybe expand a little bit on your observations, both personally and professionally in your coaching um, realm, where the female body is, is the thing that's reinforced. It's this idea that our self-worth hinges on what other people think about us or say about us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my parents divorced when I was really young. My mom went back to law school, single mom, three kids. Um, My dad was an attorney and an activist. Um, He was actually an activist for industrial hemp and medical marijuana in the late 70s in Kentucky, which believe it or not, was not super popular at that point in time. So then when I was in school, you know, I had this father who was this activist for hemp and marijuana at the height of what was going on in the U.S. was the war on drugs and dare. And so, you know, my mom was busy studying, you know, for law school. My dad was out on the campaign trail. I was, you know, I switched schools at one point. I skipped a grade. I was kind of the weird smart kid. So I was craving connection. I was craving um, acceptance. I was craving, you know, people to pay attention to me and to think that I was special and to think that I was worth being friends with, right? Because I didn't always have that, um, you know, at, at home or in, you know, other places. And so, um, so that was always really important to me. And so, kind of going to, you know, elementary school, struggle with that a bit, middle school, struggle with that a little bit. And then the summer before high school, um, my mom had graduated law school, gotten a job, started making a bit more money. We had enough money for me to highlight my hair and she hired an older cheerleader to come over and teach me, you know, some cheerleading stuff. I had tried out for the cheerleading squad several times and not made it um, because to me, the cheerleaders were the pretty popular girls that everybody wanted to be friends with. So I thought if I can be a cheerleader, maybe I'll be popular too. Maybe people will like me. Um, And then I basically hit puberty the summer before ninth grade. So eighth grade, I was kind of the weird smart kid didn't have a ton of friends, um, got made fun of somewhat. The boys in my class made fun of me for being flat chested and I didn't always have cool clothes. And then I show up in ninth grade and I have blonde hair, I have breasts and 
I am a cheerleader now. And it was all of a sudden, like, it literally was like one of those high school movies that you see where everyone's like, who's the new girl? And it's like the shake the bun out, right? You right, look like right, a right. Totally, totally different person. Right. And suddenly people paid attention to me. They were nice to me. They wanted to hang out with me. Boys thought I was cute. And so on my little 13 year old brain, I was essentially taught that the way that I looked was more important than who I was because I wasn't a totally different person than I had been three months before, but suddenly everyone wanted to be my friend. And so I was like, oh, so this is how it works. Okay. So, you know, blonde hair, big boobs, cheerleader, like, you know, cute clothes. And that kept being reinforced for me over and over for, I mean, the next 10 to, I guess, 10 to 15 years. And so I realized every time that I, you know, um, would get attention from people, it was because of that, not because I was smart, not because I had skipped a grade, not because I was taking all AP classes, right? None of that stuff was I getting any attention or affirmation for. It all had to do with the way that I looked. And so went through um, high school, went to college, joined a sorority. Um, so, and at least the school that I went to, essentially the girls going through sorority rush are numerically ranked and cut based on, you know, whatever factors, how well they think that you fit in with the rest of the house. And my whole sorority experience wasn't bad, but you know, when you think about you are literally being numerically ranked against other women and then cut saying, okay, you're like us, we accept you. I remember actually when I was getting ready to go through rush, <laughs> this hard to think about. I remember thinking, cause I'm, I'm tall and I'm bigger than a lot of other women. I'm almost five foot 11. And I remember thinking, I wonder if they are going to think that I'm too fat to be in their sorority. Mm. And mm. because at that point in time, and I don't hold this belief anymore, but at that point in time, I saw fat as a really bad thing, right. As some, something that they might not want. And I don't know why I would want to be part of a group who wouldn't want me for that reason anyway, but that's kind of the headspace you're in when you're 17. And so um, continually having that reinforced was really powerful for me. And then when I was 19, um, I'd become kind of sedentary at the end of high school and beginning of college and gained some weight. And I decided I wanted to get in shape. And so 2004, I started working out and lost a significant amount of weight and my body changed and boom, there it was everyone giving me attention, praising me, asking me what I was doing, asking me to help them, telling me how amazing I look and just continuing to reinforce that my body is the most important thing about me. It's the thing that's most worth commenting on. It's the thing that people notice. It's what they care about. And it's what gets me the attention and affection that I want and from other people. Right. And, you know, we see this, you know, it's, it's widespread, right? So, you know, to, and I, I just want to commend you for being so open and honest and transparent about some of these issues that you're discussing in the book and in this conversation, but we see it everywhere. It's like, you're not going to be happy unless you have this certain mascara that's going to give you the longest lashes that you're just going to be able to fawn in some person, you know, some partner, or you have to be the center of attention. You know, if you wear this dress or you have this bag or this, whatever the commercial, whatever you're trying to, you know, people are trying to sell you. It's like, if you don't have this thing, you know, the weights or the supplements or the whatever, uh, somehow you're not going to be the center of attention. And now you're not worthy because your body is the most, it is the, it is the, the most important thing about you as you, as you correctly, um, identified. And I think that you're not the only one, you know, like this is a, this is a, you know, if there's a pandemic, it, this is it. There's, there's a, there's a pandemic of females being told that they are 
but their body. Like there's nothing more important than the way that they present. And it's reinforced at such a young age, right? When we see little boys, we're like, you're so strong and brave. And we see little girls and we're like, I love your dress. You're so cute. You know, so it's like, even like the ways in which it's very insidious, you know what I mean? It's not always so blatant, but like, you know, we dress boys for, you know, roughhousing and play oftentimes when we dress girls to be looked at, you know, even at a very young age. And so I think it's, it starts young and raising awareness about it, starting to kind of pull back and say, okay, well, how is this different? Or we, you know, police what young girls wear in school so that they don't, you know, tempt boys or whatever. It's like, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just have conversations with young boys about respecting girls instead of telling girls your bra strap is dangerous. Your bra strap is causing that boy to do these things, right? Right. So we're making women, we're objectifying them and making um, our bodies the center of of everything. Like, oh, you're too distracting. The boys can't learn because you're wearing a skirt, you know? And it's like, hold on a second. Again, why don't we have conversations with boys about like, hey, it's not a appropriate for you to stare at her in class, you need to be able to pay attention. Correct. And in the, in the extreme of that, this is why so many victims of rape never want to come forward because of the scrutiny that they're often put under from the, um, you know, the, I guess it would be the prosecutor. I don't know that like the person who is defending or maybe the defending lawyer, whatever, you know, the, the, they're like, well, you know, how are you behaving? You know, what were you wearing? And, you know, you see memes on social media now where you have a girl who's like, you know, dressed up, you know, the button is all the way up to the neck. And then it's the same girl and she's in a bikini and like she has a little sign and it's like not asking for it. Right. With like the business suit on. And then in the bikini, it's like still not asking for it. You know, like you should be able to wear whatever the F you want. And that really shouldn't be a conduit for other people's behavior. Um, so I just wanted to uh, make sure that I said that. Um, let's let's move into uh, the second chapter. You talk about building a foundation uh, or foundations for lifting each other up is the title of the of the second chapter. And I love that you started here. I love that you started here because I think so often we think about okay, how do we want to help other? Like if we want to really reclaim this sisterhood, if we really want to stop this comparison, and we want to stop competing with each other, where you start, I think, is brilliant, which is with yourself. You know, it's, it's, you know, I don't like to use the airplane quote, but it's almost like you gotta, you gotta put the mask on yourself before you can help other people. And I think that that is an, um, you know, a saying or an example of something that holds true here. So let's talk about, um, the first principle, which is you uh, believe that you are worthy of your own care. Can we start there? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that is so important because so many of us are in roles of caregiving, right? We're mothers, we're sisters, we're aunts, we're daughters, we're caretakers, teachers. We are so socialized to feel as though our role is to care for other people. And so often our own self-care gets put on the back burner. And if we are told to care for ourselves, it's so that we can care for others. Right. So it's like you hear someone say, oh yeah, you know, I go to, I go to like wine with my girlfriends once a week because it really just relaxes me and, you know, makes me a better mom and stuff. And it's like, why, why can't you just go have wine with your friends because you deserve it and you're worthy of connection and you're an adult who gets to enjoy yourself and spend time doing things that you care about outside of your role caring for other people. And so it's not that that's 
wrong, right? Because I do think that self-care does help us show up as our best selves in our other relationships. But the the issue is when we only think we're worthy of it because of our relationship to other people. Um, instead of just saying like, no, I, like I, I get to do this. I deserve this. I'm a human being who's worthy of my own care. And, you know, I, I, I am not a mom myself. Um, a lot of my mom friends fall into um, feeling as though, you know, well, if I miss my daughter's, you know, recital because I'm doing this thing, then she's going to feel like I don't care about her or whatever. It's like, no, you are role modeling for her what it means to be a whole vibrant woman with a life outside of just being her mom. Um, I think that's been a really powerful shift for them is to say, okay, you know, I'm doing everything I can for her, but what I want my life for her, right. What I want, like what I want her to sacrifice everything, um, for her children to the point where she, you know, isn't living out her own best life and her own dreams. There's, I think it's a Glennon Doyle quote. It says something like, um, like the biggest children, the biggest burden for a children to bear is the unlived dreams of their mothers, um, which I'm like, oof, like that is that is huge, right? I would, I'm so glad that my mom did what she wanted to do after my parents got divorced and went back to law school. And yes, it was hard, and but it it also prepared me for to learn the lessons that I needed to learn to be the person that I am today, and it showed me what it looks like to be a strong woman and stand up for yourself and say, Hey, I'm going to be able to support myself and my family. And, you know, she went on to be an incredibly successful, um, a kick-ass attorney. They call her the pit bull in pink. She's amazing. Um, she's, uh, she role modeled. (laughs) Yeah. She role modeled for me what that looked like. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's so important for women to, to recognize that they're whole beings outside of their relationships to other people and that their, their worth is inherent, not based in their relationship to others. And I think it's, it's worth emphasizing here, just reinforcing what you're saying, that your desires are worth pursuing, right? It is, it is it just for, and yes, you're going to have the other benefits, like the wine with your girlfriends is going to make you more centered, more calm. You'll feel more connected. And that will bleed into other areas of your life. And that might be parenting. That might be your partner. That might be a work, whatever. But it's so often it's worth mentioning because it's a pattern that I've seen enough times that when a woman doesn't pursue her dreams, she, and or she, um, conflates the the word selfless with selfish. Like, oh, I, you know, if I put myself before, like you said, if I miss my daughter's recital, she's going to grow up thinking that her mother didn't care about her. But what ends up happening is that woman who doesn't end up pursuing her dreams, the desires that were meant for her, but she ignored them, is she ends up becoming bitter and resentful, not only to herself, but often to the people that she sacrificed for in the first place. So, you know, one of the best things that you can do if you are, you know, wanting to be a better mother or a better friend or a better daughter is to put yourself first. And this is where we, you know, the word selfish often has this sort of negative, like narcissistic undertone to it. But being selfish is just putting yourself first and being selfless is actually the the worst thing that you can do because you end up depleting your own resources. You end up completely running yourself into the ground physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and you have nowhere to go. You're not fulfilled in any of the verticals that are important to you in your life. So 
You literally I, become less of yourself. That's <laughs> when right. you're selfless, you literally become less of yourself. Yes, yes. It's so important. And I think that this is, as females, we are often told to do more with less. It's like, here's the budget that we have to shop for the house for, for the groceries. You know, here's the, um, um, you know, here's a caloric restricted diet. Like we have to do more with less calories, right? So there's always this like theme of doing less with or doing more with less, which, you know, we can have a separate conversation around why that's inherently race uh, sexist. But I think that um, it's important for a woman to put herself first. Later in the book, I actually show examples of how this is actively harming us. So I had a conversation with a high level academic at a major university, a guy who said that his female colleagues when so uh, professors at his university are expected to do research, they're expected to teach, they're expected to write, and then they're expected to do service. So he said that um, pretty much all of the service is performed by his female colleagues. And the reason is because they want to help. They feel like someone's going to be mad at them if they say no, and they feel bad. They feel too badly to say no, mm. but they spend their time doing the service, which takes away from their time doing research, writing books, getting published and teaching. And he said that it actually, and there's actually evidence to back this up, that it actively harms their career and they aren't able to have the same upward trajectory or mobility within the university because they're not doing the things that the university actually values, which is the research, the publishing and, and the teaching, depending on the university. And he's like, he's like, it sounds selfish for me to like, he's like, I never volunteer first because I know one of them's going to do it. He's like, it sounds selfish because it is. And he's like, but I'm too focused on my research and my writing and my teaching. And it's voted really well for him. So literally women are putting themselves out there saying like, oh, I feel bad. I don't want to say no. And it is actively harming their career and their ability to move up in their position positions because they are giving so much of themselves for free that it's taking away from their opportunities to, um, to move up. Wow. Yeah. And I want to, I want to make sure that we talk about boundaries today. So that was a really important piece of your book. And I think it's actually, let's do it now because I, I think that boundaries are, it's sort of a newer topic in a way, like it's, it's sort of had a resurgence in terms of its popularity. And mostly because I don't think women ha have ever been shown like what healthy boundaries are. We have, you know, I had Dr. Uh, Nicole LaPera, the, she's a holistic psychologist yes. on the pod. And she was talking about how most mothers are very enmeshed or they're, you know, so women have never learned as daughters observing their own mother, what a boundary looks like. So that's why the mom will be like, God, I can't miss little Susie's recital because she's going to think, you know, whatever. And then she inserts whatever her, you know, paradigm is there. So let's actually talk about boundaries. What are some ways or what are some of the different categories of boundaries uh, in different verticals uh, in a woman's life? And then maybe you can give some examples of how we can um, create boundaries, communicate them, and then enforce them. Yeah, absolutely. So there, like you said, there are several different areas of boundaries and different people define them differently, but there's like, you know, emotional boundaries, right? So boundaries around um, how much of your emotions you're going to invest in something. There are time boundaries. So how much of your time that you will give someone, or if someone is consistently late in your relationship and they aren't respecting your time, you can set boundaries around that. There's material boundaries. So things around boundaries around what it's okay for someone to do or not do with your material possessions. 
there are physical boundaries. So, well, physical and sexual. So um, in terms of physical, is it okay for someone to touch you or not touch you? Sexual boundaries, obviously going a little bit, you know, deeper into that. So what's okay sexually and what's not okay with people that you're engaged in a sexual relationship with. So Mm -hmm. essentially boundaries are just what are okay in your, and not okay in your relationship with someone else. And so, like you said, women have so little experience or so little, um, so few role models in setting boundaries that they don't understand that they can actually tell someone like, Hey, it's not okay for you to do this. And if you do, here's what's going to happen. So that's essentially how boundaries work. You can tell someone what it's okay for them to do and not do and let them know that if they don't respect that boundary, then this is what's going to happen. So For example, someone wants to borrow something of yours, borrow your purse or borrow your car. You can say, hey, yeah, it's okay for you to do that, but it needs to be back in my possession by this time. And it needs to be exactly as it was when I lent it to you. Um, Or, hey, it's actually not okay for you to do that. And if you do it, like, you know, we're going to have a a problem in our relationship. Like you're not going to ever be able to borrow anything of mine again. Money is money is a really big one for a lot of people. Hey, I'll loan you this, but you need to pay me back by this date at this interest rate maybe, or I'm never loaning you money again. Um, Sexual boundaries. Hey, it's okay for us to do this in our sexual relationship, but I'm not comfortable with that. And if you do that, then the sexual encounter is going to be over. Um, And so it's essentially just telling people what you are comfortable with in your relationship with them and what you're not and making it radically clear what will happen if they don't respect that boundary and then actually doing that thing so that they know that you're serious about the boundary. Right. And a lot of, uh, a lot of women in my community will either privately or publicly talk about the, you know, they go home for the holidays and, you know, maybe this past holiday was a little different, but you know, they'll go home for the holidays and someone might comment about their weight or they might comment about, you know, their diet, like the new diet that they're trying or whatever. So a really, uh, you know, clear example, just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying is like, I'm not comfortable talking about my weight in front of the family. And if you continue to speak, talk to me about my body and how it looks in front, I will not be coming back next time, or I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave the room, you know, whatever it is. So you are talking about the clear boundary, as you said, and the consequence. So it's like, this is what I'm okay with. If that line is crossed, this is the consequence and you have to hold it. You have to be like, well, you know, first pass, like there's no freebies. Like they don't get any first passes because this is, this is aligned with your values. It's aligned with your core values in terms of who you are as a person and you are worth, you know, kind of back to what we were saying, you are worth defending, you know, you are worth, (laughs) you are worthy of time. You're worthy of respect. Um, and I think that there's just, uh, it just has to be a muscle that's flexed over time in the same way that if you want to grow, you know, your deltoid, you have to do shoulder lifts and you have to do whatever, you know, it's the same kind of concept here is that we have to slowly begin to have a, like to grow this muscle and the less you use it, of course, it's like use it or lose it, right. There'll be atrophy and you won't necessarily know how to, you know, how to navigate it as smoothly or as easily. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the thing about boundaries is they actually make your relationships with people better, or at least they make your relationships with the kind of people that you want to be friends with better. So I think people think like, oh, you know, this person's going to be mad at me. It's like, well, you, you are not responsible for their reaction to your boundary. You are only responsible for what you do. And so if a person 
repeatedly cannot respect your boundaries, then they are probably not someone that you want to stay in close relationship with. And I know that is so much easier said than done, especially when it comes to family stuff. But my older sister is um, very, very good about making sure that my niece is not around conversation, negative conversation around women's and girls' bodies and weight and fat and things like that. And so she was uh, actually born in New Zealand, moved here when she was five, and she's now um, 11 and a half. And she has never, ever said anything negative about her body. She talks about how big she is and how strong she is. She actually says she wants uh, big, strong arms like her Aunt Momo when she grows up. Um, And she has such a positive body image that my sister has repeatedly told our family, like you are not to talk about the diet you're on. You're not to talk about your body disparagingly. You're not to talk about anyone else's body disparagingly. And our family's done a really good job of respecting that because they know if they don't, they're not going to get to see my niece. And similarly, when you know, she was born in New Zealand and would come over to the States for a visit. Even when my niece was two, they would say, if she doesn't want to, she doesn't know you. If she doesn't want to hug you, you are not to hug her. Like you're not to touch her if she says that she's not okay with being touched. And that's another really big one for parents and kids to say, oh, give your, you know, give your aunt Susu a hug or whatever. And it's like, you're literally telling her, you don't want to hug this grown-up, but what this grown-up wants to do to your body, which is simple hug, is more important than how you feel about what they want to do to your body, which is yeah. a very, very damaging lesson for yes. young children to get. Agreed. Wow. And I think that there's something to be said about how happy or everyone in that relationship is going to be because everyone's expectations are being met, right? There's no opportunity for resentment. There's no opportunity for, you know, just ruminating and going like, I can't believe they said this. And what am I, you know, cause you've, you've clearly labeled everything. This is okay. And this is not okay. And we can play here in this sandbox, but just not in this one. Um, yeah. And you give them an opportunity to decide if that's what they want for themselves as well. You know, it's right. not a one-sided thing. It's like, Hey, you get to decide if, if me having these boundaries, if you still want a relationship with me, you know, if this is going to be, if this is going to work for you. And if not, it's like, we both get to, you know, maybe make a hard decision, but an important decision that, that what we're okay with is not, does not overlap. And so there's probably not a place for a, a healthy relationship between the two of us. Right. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. So let's, let's imagine now we have a woman, she's reading your book. She's like, okay, I am going to pursue my desires. I'm going to start flexing my boundary muscle. Um, 
You talk about this idea of embracing the simple and embracing the small. And I think that it's so wonderful because so many of us, I mean, we're so used to instant gratification, right? We're like Amazon Prime is going to be here by 9 p.m. tonight. (laughs) You know, my Uber Eats is going to be, I'm going to get my food and like, I'm going to order takeout. It'll be delivered to my door in 30 minutes. Why can't I do this with my body? Why can't my desires, you know, why can't my desires be Amazon Prime? So can (laughs) you um, think about, can you maybe expand a little bit on why it doesn't necessarily have to be hard. And, you know, maybe we can talk about this in a health context. Like if someone's interested in, you know, fat loss, which I know is a really big topic for, you know, many men and women, uh, particularly, I see this a lot. I I tend to work more with women. So this is something I see with much higher frequency uh, with women. And that just might be my own bias because of the population that I work with. But um, I think that um, people expect it to be hard. And it's like, I'm going to like, I need to, I need to, you know, suffer. I need to like calorically restrict. I need to do five hours of cardio a day and two lifts. And I think sometimes it's just, are you tired? Do you need water right now? You know, should you just chew, like, should you just chew your food fully? You know, and some people are like, this is garbage. Like, I can't, I hate this. I can't, I can't stand this. Like, can you please give me the hard stuff? Can we skip this part and get to the hard stuff? Can you talk about why the simple and the small is probably the most gargantuan thing that you can do when you're trying to make a change? Yes, absolutely. So um, I co-founded, I've been in health and fitness for 17 years, co-founded Girls Gone Strong, which is the world's largest education platform, providing evidence-based interdisciplinary information and education to women and professionals who work with them. So I have been, been in fitness for 17 years. I've seen people try to change their lives with the big giant overhauls in every area of their life, whether it's their finances or their health and fitness or their relationships, or they start going to therapy or whatever the thing is. I've seen people try to make a change and everyone, when people get to the point where they try to make a change, they're feeling a lot of emotion and motivation, right? So they think that they want to, they want to get to that place that they're going to be very quickly. Like we're wired for that quick fix. We're wired for that hit of like, okay, well, if I'm going to change this thing, I need the payoff to happen right away. Right. I need the dopamine. Give me the dopamine. Exactly. Exactly. Especially because they think they have to do this really big thing. Right. So they think, well, if I'm going to sacrifice all this, I need to see these results right away. And they're relying so often on the emotion or the motivation to make the changes, right? Instead of saying, okay, um, motivation is an emotion. It's fleeting, right? It's not going to be here all the time. And so they discount the idea of making small changes to their habits and to their behaviors and how those are going to add up over time. Cause that's not sexy. That's not boring. When you're motivated, you don't want to drink an extra glass of water. That feels very like, wah, wah, I haven't done anything, <laughs> right? Like that's not exciting. So we're, we're feeling this heightened sense of emotion and motivation. And so we want something that we think is going to give us a big payoff really quickly. But I will tell you, 17 years in, that shit doesn't work. It does. If it did, if it did, we wouldn't have so many people struggling to change the areas of their life they want to change, whether it's health or finances or relationships or, or whatever it would, they would have gotten the results in the 14 days and they wouldn't have to still be searching for a solution. Right. And so And we're so wired to try to get these results really quickly that it can feel very anticlimactic to do the small and simple thing. And yet that is what is going to get us results over the long haul. So 17 years ago, I decided I wanted to get in shape. I was eating fast food 
probably three times a day. Um, I didn't eat anything that wasn't beige until I was 19. Um, it was all macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and chicken flavored rice and ramen noodles. And, um, and, and what got me there, what got me to where I am 17 years later is adopting small, simple habits that are sustainable. Like I still eat tacos, I still eat pizza, I still eat ice cream, but almost every day or at least every week for the last 17 years, I've eaten adequate protein. I've, you know, prioritized vegetables. I've gotten enough water. I've, you know, w- walked and moved my body. I've, you know, gone to the gym on a regular basis. And so it has only been through those small sustainable changes and habit changes that I made that I've actually gotten off the diet and exercise roller coaster, right? So the first, I guess I've been in fitness 17 years, the first nine years, I actually was constantly on and off diets, competing in figure competitions, struggling with restricting and binging. Um, And I was like, I just, I just want to find the thing that's going to last. And the thing that lasted was none of that. It was okay, I'm just going to make sure that I prioritize protein and vegetables at every meal. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. I'm going to stop when I'm close to satisfied. And it has only been those small little steps over time. They've added up to massive results after 17 years. Um, But the other stuff that I tried to do just didn't work. That's not, when someone says, I'm going to go on a diet, they think they're changing one thing, right? They're not changing one thing. They're changing what they buy at the grocery store, what grocery store they go to, how often they cook, how many more dishes they have to do, what they're cooking for their family, what they're making for themselves, whether they they go out for lunch or come in for lunch. They're changing thousands of decisions that they have to make every single day. No wonder they're exhausted, right? right? It's so much. I think, oh, I'm just going to change my diet. It's just one thing, but it's actually changing a thousand small habits, behaviors, thoughts, decisions that you have to make in a day. But if you say, okay, I'm going to, you know, drink a glass of water first thing when I wake up every single morning, if that's a limiting factor for you, if that's a big rock for you, that you're really dehydrated, you know, do that every day for a week or two weeks or three weeks until you're like, okay, this is easy. I just get up and I set it right by my toothbrush and I drink the water and now I don't even have to think about it. Right. Then you can add another one. So lifting women up is the same. People think I was, I didn't want this book to feel like another big to do on a never ending to do list where women are consistently putting themselves on the back burner. I wanted them to understand that the small but mighty things that they can do to lift women up that I talk about later in the book can add up to incredible, have incredible ripple effects down the line of things that are, the impact is immeasurable. And I've got some stories in the book that I talk about where I just did one nice thing for someone and then they just did one little thing and then I just did one little thing and then it spiraled or snowballed into this amazing, incredible um, ripple effect down the line. I love that. And I think what your, uh, if I can paraphrase, and I'm going to use a little bit of John Berardi's uh, language, which I know is a mutual friend of ours. What we, what you're talking about is the difference between an outcome goal and a behavioral goal. We want to lift women up. That's like the outcome, right? That's like the big, audacious, beautiful thing, you know, in, in terms of health, like I want to be able to do a pull-up or I want to lose my percentage of fat off my body or whatever. But it's the behavior that is what you're talking about the behavior goal, which is I'm going to make sure that, you know, I send Molly a message after our interview to tell her she really showed up. Like I really appreciate it. You know, that's an an example, right? I can send you an email after this conversation and say, I really feel like you showed up for the Bettys, like for this conversation. 
thank you for being so thoughtful and so present. It could be, as you were saying, you know, a colleague, it could be someone you talk about this in the book. Like I could make sure that my female colleague doesn't get, um, oh, what was the word that you used? Was it when a woman has an idea, but then a he man, heated. yeah, that, that, yes, heap heating. Yes. So like that you say, you know what? I love what you're saying. I think Grace was talking about that. I'd love to hear Grace's opinion or, you know, this is the, these are the small little intangibles. Uh, maybe, maybe we can like dive a little deeper into some of these more like small little behaviors or examples of how we can lift other women up. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, the first half of the book is getting your stuff right for yourself because it is hard to become a woman who wants, it is hard to lift women up if you haven't yet become a strong woman who wants to lift other women up, right? It is hard to want to engage in those behaviors on a regular basis, um, to, you know, joyfully and genuinely celebrate other women to stop comparing your life and your body to them. Like that, those are the first steps, right? Feeling more comfortable with yourself, overcoming the jealousy and comparison, overcoming self-doubt, learning how to set boundaries, believing in other women's abilities, all of that stuff is the foundation for becoming a strong woman who wants to lift other women up. So first half of the book is about getting right with yourself. The second half is, okay, how do we actually do the thing? Right. And I think there's, that's a, that's a whole big other conversation, but I think a lot of women want to do it, but they don't know what to do. So I started the, that section of the book off with what we call small, but mighty ways that you can lift women up. And it was important to me to include these in here because they are things that almost everyone has access to. You don't have to have a lot of time. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have influence or network or, you know, anything like that. You don't have to, to have this insider knowledge, like almost anyone can do these things. And they include things like sharing another woman's work, giving her credit where it's due, amplifying her voice, buying from a woman owned business, like speaking up. If you hear something negative said about another woman, like all of these little things that you can do in your daily life will can and will over time create this ripple effect of lifting women up that can do all kinds of stuff. So let's say you make sure a woman gets credit where, where it's due that can boost her confidence, that can um, improve her ability to uh, maybe get a promotion, get, she can be seen more positively in her boss's eyes if it's really clear that it's like, no, this was her idea, this was Stephanie's idea. And I think it's important that you know where this solution came from. Um, online, right, people like to share memes and quotes from people. Oh, there was a very actually fascinating um, example. There's a woman named Sonia Renee Taylor and she, um, she talked about the pandemic and she said like, let's not get back to normal. Normal never was like normal was, I'm going to butcher it, but like normal was hustling and, you know, racism and, you know, classism and capitalism and all this kind of stuff. Like, let's not get back to normal after the pandemic. Let's do something better. And the quote got attributed to Brene Brown. And so Brene woke up and was, saw all these people like that's Sonia Renee Taylor's quote. And she's like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, that I didn't give myself credit for this or whatever, but people stepped in and said, Hey, that's not Brene, that's Sonia. And Sonia ended up being able to connect with Brene and go on Brene's podcast and share her work with so many other people because the online community was willing to say, Hey, let's make sure she gets credit. This, these are her thoughts. These are her ideas. And now Sonia has a re relationship with Brene and Brene was able to amplify Sonia's voice and her message to her community and help grow her platform and her network and the people who buy from her. And it's just like, 
bam, you know, like this massive ripple effect that happens because people were, were willing to raise their hand and say, let's give this woman credit where it's due. And so, you know, every single one of these things, like not every single compliment that you give or time that you share someone's work is going to explode into something like that, right? But they're getting the reps under your belt and they're creating these tiny little, tiny little ripple effects. Like say you compliment a woman on um, how she performed in a meeting at work, right? You might give her the confidence to ask her boss for a raise. You might give her the confidence to stand up for herself um, when she has a partner or a mother who's being overbearing. Um, if she gets that raise, then other women in the office might say, hey, you know, she just asked for a raise and she got it. Like we should, you know, we should do that too. That might help close the wage gap within your business or your organization. So there are all of these amazing ripple effects that can happen from these little small things. And you never know what's going to be the tipping point, right? What's going to be the thing that's going to, that's going to lead to the, to the massive outcome, but doing all those little things over time is going to eventually have all of these little ripple effects that you can't even see. Right. And it's like, which rep was the one that grew your bicep? It's like, <laughs> who knows, right? It's like, it's all of them, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, it's them in aggregate. Um, so for the, for the, there's, I think that there's a deep ingrained comparison. You mentioned it um, a moment ago. I just wanted to double click on that where we are, I think this is, I think this is just the patriarchal society that we've all grown up in where we are taught, as you had mentioned in, in multiple points in your story, you know, how we are ranked with each other. There can only be one woman, um, how we are comparing, um, ourselves to other women, like, oh, she's got a, a big house or she's got the perfect body or she's got the big perfect career or what have you. Can we talk a little bit about how comparison, because I do think that there's, there are times when comparison is warranted, right? So as you just said, like a woman might be like, Hey, maybe we should, we should know what the going rate is for such and such a job title and such and such experience, like the comparison in that way is, is, can be useful, but there is, as you mentioned in the book, a dark side to comparison. So can we talk about that and then how we can then begin to get beyond the ego, beyond this sort of sexist, patriarchal, toxic toxicity uh, that we have with other women? Yeah, absolutely. So that comparison and jealousy, I think for a lot of us starts very young. I know I had, like you said, like we talked about at the beginning, like I had a lot of experiences with that, um, you know, feeling like I wasn't good enough, feeling like I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't have the cool clothes, seeing that the women who did or the girls who did have those things were getting the attention and the affection and the affirmation. So I think it's a really natural thing to compare ourselves, right? Like we, we hierarch kind of where we fall in society. So we kind of understand like our role or our place. But the problem is, like you said, when there's a dark side to it. And so for so many of us, we compare ourselves, our bodies, our lives, our families, our kids. And then we feel when we don't measure up instead of saying, okay, cool. So this is actually going to motivate me to do this other thing. We go down this like negative self-talk kind of spiral of like, I suck. I'm not good enough. Everybody has it better than me. What's wrong with me? You know, like it's I'm must behind. be me. That's yeah, I'm I must be behind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm behind. Everyone's ahead of me. And so that is so difficult for, for so many women and so many women do it. And social media has made it even easier than others than ever to do that because you can look 
you know, everybody pretty much posts, um, even with the uptick in people being more authentic and vulnerable online, most people, I mean, you're posting what you want people to see, right? So for the most part, we're posting the more positive parts of our lives. And it's so easy to scroll and just say like, everybody's, you know, on cool vacations, houses, has a partner, gorgeous kids, all that kind of stuff. So it's easy, easier than ever to go down those rabbit holes. It's also easier than ever to go down very specific rabbit holes. So let me look at my partner's ex-girlfriend or whatever, right? Like we can like, we can like really go, go deep down that kind of stuff in a way that we have never been able to before. So it's never been easier to spend that time comparing ourselves to other people. Like you said, I don't think comparison is always a bad thing. I think there are times, like you said, it can be a really good thing when you're looking at how much does this person make, you know, like maybe I can, maybe I can do that. So that's why in the book I talk about, I teach women how to get aligned with what their values are so that when they find themselves comparing themselves to someone else, they have an opportunity to step back and say, okay, I can feel myself. I can feel myself comparing myself to this person. Is this really true? Okay. So is it true that she makes more money than I do? Yes. Okay. Is it true that I want what she has to make the kind of money that she's making? Is it true that I want to work as much as her? Is it true that I went to school for as long as her? Is it true that I want to spend the amount of time that she spends working every week in order to do the thing? And it's like, if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, I don't actually want the thing that she has. What do I want for myself? Or if the answer is I do want the thing that she has, it's like, okay, cool. So what can I do about it? You know, can I work a little bit more? Can I, can I, you know, set up a side hustle? Can I ask my boss for a raise? Can I tell them that I'd be willing to, you know, take on this extra work in order to make more money? So when can I reach out to her and ask her how she did it? Like, can we collaborate? And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can she mentor me? Can she share her insider knowledge of how she got the thing? So Mm -hmm. it's not the comparison um, that is necessarily negative. It's what happens after we compare ourselves to someone else, right? Does it spiral into negative self-talk? Does it make us resent her and want to gossip and judge and criticize her because we're feeling less than and it helps us elevate ourselves to do that to her? So it's it's less about the comparison and more about overcoming the comparison trap that really holds us down, makes us resentful, makes us less likely to collaborate with other women. Because here's the thing, we, this, this is a lesson that we're taught when we're really young, but then as we get older and we look around, we see fewer women in boardrooms and in government and in academia and in places of worship and in all the important spaces and places where big decisions are made. And so when we look around and we see that out of 10 people on a panel, there's one woman or two women, we start to think there's only room for one or two women in that space and in that place. And so when that happens, it feels normal. And when it feels normal, then we compete with each other for scraps instead of demanding more for ourselves and each other. We say, oh, well, there's, there's probably only, they're probably only going to have two women and Stephanie already got that spot. So like, you know, there's, I'm probably not going to get it because, you know, they're, they're, they're only going to have one more, or I don't want to recommend Stephanie for that because I really want to be there. And you know, they're only going to have two women. Right. And that's the bullshit of thinking that the way things are set up right now is the way that they have to be. That's what pits us against one another is these false beliefs about there's not room for all of us. Success is finite. Happiness is finite. Um, 
that is that false construct is what pits us against one another so that we feel like we have to compete with each other for limited access, resources, spots, happiness, success, all of that. All the things. Yeah. So how do we, how do we neutralize those thoughts? Like you, I don't know if this was the exact part in the book, but in the book, you talk about how you take a negative thought and how you move it along, you know, I'll call it like almost like a broken telephone or like almost along a chain where you're like, okay, let me take this super negative thought and just make it like a little less negative. And then let me take that thought and move it into neutrality. Can you maybe explain and maybe with an example, if someone is listening to this saying, okay, like I want to really shake off this scarcity mindset and become awake to how these things present. And I want to have abundance. And if I see, you know, if I see Molly's arms and I'm like, damn, I got, I got some, (laughs) I got some work to do. What, what might be, um, you know, an example that you might give us that you've seen in your coaching or your own personal life where we can move that extreme negative into something that is positive and abundant. Yeah, absolutely. So the first step is always going to be noticing and naming. So we can't change something unless we um, have awareness about it. And then I, there are a couple of different techniques that I'd like to use that are <clears throat> that are different depending on the situation and p- different people are going to like different techniques. But um, the first is you can ask yourself, what is the opposite of this thought? Um, the second is that you can say, what's the most generous assumption I can make of myself or someone else in this situation? And the third is how can I align this thought just slightly to um, align with my values a little bit more? So an example that I give in the book is I have cellulite all over my lower body, right? 90% of women have cellulite on their legs. Even when I competed in figure competitions, I had cellulite. I had lost my period. You know, I had shredded abs and I had cellulite on the backs of my legs. And I used to feel a lot of shame around that. And I used to say, I don't want to wear shorts. I don't want to wear light colored yoga pants. People are going to see my cellulite, right? People are going to see I have this thing that 90% of people have. I mean, it's like, it's so, it's so ridiculous. People are going to see I have two arms. They're going to see that I have two <laughs> arms, just like everyone else. I know. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was so worried and ashamed of it. And, um, and so, you know, I would think to myself like, oh, my legs look so gross. I can't wear shorts because I have the cellulite, right? So for me, I was able to shift that perspective on that slightly. So I shifted it from really negative to, ugh, I've got cellulite all over my legs. It's so gross. I can't wear shorts. I was able to shift that to, I have cellulite on my legs and it makes me uncomfortable and, you know, I'm struggling with it, but it is, it is kind of what it is. So I was able to take it from really negative to slightly negative. Then over time, as I got more comfortable with that thought, like, I don't like this, I feel uncomfortable with it, but it was, I was able to soften the, like berating myself and telling myself I'm disgusting because of it. Right. And so I brought it to slightly negative. And then I moved from slightly negative to neutral. Like I have cellulite on my legs. 90% of women have cellulite. My mom has cellulite. My grandmother has cellulite. My sister has cellulite. It is just, it is the way that my body looks. And for me, I haven't been able to, or haven't really tried because it's, it's kind of, it's so neutral now. It doesn't really matter to me. I haven't tried to be like, I love my cellulite. You know, I, my, my friend calls her cellulite, her fancy fat. Um, she's like, <laughs> I've got fancy fat all over my legs. I love it. It's like my legs are, you know, like they're like, you know, have lace on them. Um, right. I haven't, I haven't got all the way there, but it's just, I have cellulite on my legs is what it is. Like, doesn't have anything to do with who I am as a person, how good of a coach I am, what I'm going to wear, how good I feel in my body. And so for me, I was able to slightly move that from really negative over to neutral to where it's not even a factor in my life anymore. And I don't, 
I don't think about it. It doesn't affect um, how I show up. So like you said, I give examples in the book of, you know, that's one way to, to shift things along a spectrum. Another way is to, um, is to think about the opposite of that thought and ask if that could be true. And then another is what is the most generous assumption I can make of myself or someone else in this situation? That's great. That's so great. That's so useful. And I think that this uh, piggybacks really well onto, you know, your own journey to self-acceptance and really honoring your body for all that it has done, all in all the ways that it has served you. And I wanted to bring up the uh, picture that you posted, I believe it was the end of December, is like December 2015, early 2016. Uh, and I remember seeing it and I was like, damn, she's like, that's amazing. Like it went, it was like this viral picture uh, explained to people. And, and I think this is such a, is such a powerful example of, you know, from a woman who, you know, in grade eight was being bullied for some, you know, asinine reason, right through to, you know, the figure competing and the binging and the, you know, all the, and I'm, a, I'm also a figure competitor as well. So I know what it, it's like peak week is like, you're just like, I hate this. This is the worst. And then you're standing up in bikinis on stage being judged. Um, so let, let's talk about that post. And I think it's a nice way to sort of tie things up in terms of what is possible when we begin to accept and love ourselves. Like, I think it's such a wonderful thought to entertain that the entire female population can actually move towards this place. So I'll let you, I'll let you explain it and what you posted and what your, um, what the response was. Yeah. So, um, that was, it was, January 1st, 2016. And I was almost 12 years into my health and fitness journey. And, um, in December, Casey and I were, my partner, Casey and I were in Costa Rica and with, uh, Jonathan Goodman and Allison. So mutual, another mutual friend. Um, so I was walking on the beach and I was asked Casey to take a picture of me. And so he took a picture, he took a couple pictures of me or whatever. And I, I didn't really think much about them. And then January 1st rolls around. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to, um, I haven't used that picture yet. I should post that picture, you know, started to kind of typing some stuff up about it. And I was like, what's okay. Why, why is you know, I don't want to just post a picture of myself in a bathing suit, right? Like what is, what is meaningful about this? Why, why would anyone care, um, about this picture? And I was like, oh man, it's January 1st. This is the first time. And as long as I can remember that I have not made a resolution to change the way that my body looks. And so I wrote the post and posted it and I shared like, you know, this is my body, you know, this is not a before picture. This is not an after picture. This is just what my body looks like on a Tuesday in December. And I talked about my journey, like, you know, this, this body's been abused with late nights and fast food and no sleep. And it's been restricted with, you know, 900 calorie diets and over exercise. And, um, you know, this is a body that loves ice cream and tacos and, you know, loves bent presses and Turkish get-ups and pull-ups and whatever. And I kind of, this is a body that has been, um, made fun of and, you know, negative things have been said about, but like, this is my body. And like, this is the first time in a long time that I haven't made a New Year's resolution to change the way my body looks. And this is a type of freedom I didn't know I could ever experience. And it feels really good. And so I posted it and I was like, oh yeah, okay. You know, I feel good about this. Like, this is a, this is a cool message or whatever. And it's like, you hit refresh and it's like 247 likes. And you're like, I'm sorry what? And it's, you know, refresh again, it's like 550 likes. And it's like, what's happening? So the picture ended up going mega viral, um, reaching total up with all the news outlets. I have a friend who, who calculates this for a living, but he said it reached 464 million people worldwide. Jeez. 
That's amazing. It was, it was shared by all the major news outlets, shared by celebrities and um, and the title, the title is what kills me. It's like one of the news outlets. was like, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But here's the gist, right? Okay. Okay. Here's the gist. Some of these titles when translated from another language back to back to English was woman in us likes her body. Yeah. Like it made freaking international news that a woman in the U S likes her body. And it's like, man, like, are you like, that is, that is how much of a pandemic women not liking their body is that it literally makes international news when a woman shows up and says, Hey, I like my body. I feel good about it. I don't want to change it. It's like, stop the presses. One got away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. She made it out. She, she realized this was possible. Don't let anybody else see, you know? Um, and so yeah. And, and so, you know, that was to that beginning of 2016. So five years ago, thankfully, I don't think a post like that would make international news today because so many more women are stepping up and embracing, um, embracing their bodies and deciding, you know, choosing to be more comfortable in their skin. And, and the conversation has evolved, right? There are a lot more pressing issues around women and bodies than a you know, relatively fit young white woman saying she feels good in her body, right? We're starting to realize how so many other pandemics like racism and ableism and classism and homophobia and transphobia and all these other things are affecting um, how women view themselves and their bodies, how safe they feel in their body, you know, whether or not they feel resilient and have ownership and agency and autonomy over their bodies. Like we're starting to have those bigger discussions, which is really important. Um, so it, I'm glad to see how much we've moved along in the last five years that woman in the U S likes her body probably wouldn't make international news today, but at the same time, it was really powerful for a lot of women to see a woman stand up and say, Hey, I like myself, you know, like, and I'm not afraid to say it because so many women have been afraid of that. You know, they're afraid that people are going to say, well, who does she think she is? And, you know, is she like, she's not that special or whatever. It's like, you know, we tell women to be confident. And then when they show up confident, then the question is, who does she think she is? And it's like, yeah, you know, we can never find that perfect level of confidence, but that comes from not feeling good about ourselves. So we are questioning and, you know, kind of projecting essentially how we feel about ourselves and other people, because that used to be me, right? Why is she wearing that? I can't believe she's wearing that. Who does she think she is? You know, she's not the, because I didn't feel good about myself. But today there is nothing I love more than a woman showing up fully and authentically in her power, knowing that she's a badass, like believing in herself and her abilities. Like when I see that now I am so inspired because I am at a place where I feel good about myself, that that doesn't feel threatening to me. That feels inspiring to me. As a younger girl, I was always told I'm too much, like too bossy, too talkative, too this, too that. And so I learned, as I'm sure you did as well, to dim your or to adapt so that you wouldn't stick out too much. Right. So it was like, you know, you can be smart, but like not too smart or else you're going to be called a nerd. And like, I was totally called a nerd. Like even still, I was like trying to like throw my math tests and whatever. Um, it's, and you talk about this in the book, which I love, it's impossible as a woman. Sometimes it's like, you got to be pretty, but not too pretty. You got to be thin, but not too thin. You got to be muscular, but not too muscular. You got to be, you know, all these, all these, it's like, you got to be this, but if you're too much of that, then we're going to have a problem with you. And I think when, 
you know, all the strategies that you outlay in the book where as a woman, the first step is actually getting good in your own skin, like feeling good and powerful and centered and rooted and attuned with yourself is the way that we start the, it's like the, you know, the butterfly wings that started the tornado, right? It's like, that's the first step in the, in the transformation. Yeah. And like who, who decides too, right? It's like, you're too much, too much for who, too much for you. Okay. Like you're not enough for me. So there we go. Like this, maybe this isn't (laughs) a good relationship, but truly they were saying, Hey, Stephanie, you need to change who you are to make us more comfortable. Right. Correct. Like that is such a problematic message that so many of us have gotten our entire lives. So yeah. And so, and the interesting thing is today, if someone told you that you were too much, I have a feeling you'd say that I'm not for that person. And that person's not for me. That's right. That's right. But, in, and in some ways it's, there's an initiation, right? So I feel like, you know, even though those were very painful times for me, I'm also very grateful for them because they taught me who I was. And at the time I was a small, you know, maybe a smaller version of myself and I would try to adapt and I was trying to fit in and try to find my own way. But it was in that process. It was in that darkness that, and that pain that I was like, actually, I, I am really talkative and that's, that's, you know, I have a podcast now and that's perfectly matched for who, um, I am. And I have a lot of, a lot that I want to say, uh, specifically around women's health and, um, and female physiology. So, um, so my, in my, in our kind of closing remarks, I wanted to talk about the power of community. And I think, you know, last year, we really, I have always said my community is my immunity. I always feel connected. I feel grounded when I am with other women, um, and other, other humans, but particularly other women who un, un, unapologetically show up, um, as themselves. How can we as women start to foster that sense of community, whether it's in an online space, which is a lot of ways now that that's the only way that's permissible you know, some states and provinces and, you know, worldwide, there's lots of lockdowns still um, at the time of this recording. So how can we begin to get better together? That was the title of the, of one of your chapters. How can we get better together? Yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah, better together is chapter six, and that's helping women understand that truly we are not in competition with one another, but that collaboration can allow us to, you know, not only be happier in our personal lives, but be more successful in our professional lives and that we really need each other. You know, we are wired for connection. And so one of the ways to do that is, you know, kind of what I talked about earlier in the book is kind of getting right with ourselves, overcoming self-doubt. Like if you want to be surrounded with strong women who lift other women up, you have to first become a strong woman who lifts other women up. So I would highly recommend, you know, working through the first parts of the book so that you can get to a place where, you are the type of person that people want to spend more time around because you're loving and you're genuine and you're authentic and you're clear on your values. And when it comes to actually cultivating community, like, I mean, you and Gio are incredible at this, like saying, like sharing someone else's stuff. How can I help you? I love what you're doing. Like I'm you know, getting genuine compliments, offering to make connections, like showing up for other women in the way that you want to be shown up for is always going to be the key to creating the type of authentic community that you want, whether it's online or in person. So 
We are in a pandemic right now. You're trying to cultivate more of an online community, like following people whose work you respect, commenting and liking their stuff. I send little love notes to people. I send little voice messages and love notes that just say, hey, like no need to write back or anything. I just want to say like, I love what you're doing. I appreciate you. I love, you know, how you show up here or give specific examples of like, I love this post that you made. You were so clear and, you know, your values or, hey, I really liked the way that you, you know, gave credit to this other person here. I think that's so cool. So doing the things that you want other people to do for you, being the one who does them first and not expecting anything in return, just putting that energy out into the world, getting those reps out there, doing the things that lift other women up. And again, there's a ton of examples in the book, sharing their work, giving them credit, amplifying their voice, buying from them, supporting them, asking if you can introduce them to someone that you know, someone who might be able to help them, like all of those little repetitions that you can put out there into the world and into the universe, you're going to get back tenfold over time when that's who you have, that's, you become that strong woman who lifts other women up. Love that. And tell me a little bit and tell our Betty's a little bit about Girl Gone Strong. Tell me about your organization and where people can find you if they want to interact more with you and your message. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to throw a bunch of words at you real quick. Like I said earlier, (laughs) Girls Gone Strong is the world's largest platform providing evidence-based interdisciplinary, women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy information. So what that means is the information we provide is research-backed. It's interdisciplinary. So it's from a number of professionals. So registered dietitians, PhDs, physiotherapists, strength coaches, all come together to provide the information. And we cover a wide variety of health, fitness, nutrition, and pre- and postnatal content. So we have over a thousand free articles on our website. We have over a dozen free five-day courses that we provide for women and professionals. And then um, we've got uh, coaching that we do with women. And then our really the biggest focus of Girls Gone Strong are our certifications. So I know this is going to be shocking to people, to the Bettys who listen to this podcast, but there wasn't a lot of women-specific health and fitness uh, information out there for professionals for a very long time. So when you would get a kinesiology degree or you would get such and such general personal training certification, they'd have a paragraph about a woman's menstrual cycle or not even, not even a page about training a woman during and after pregnancy. We wrote a 500 page textbook on it and we had to cut stuff out. Like it's a page, like it's a page. And the thing is, is I get, they can't include it all in there but tell people that it's a thing that they need to dive more into and they need to learn more about. Don't just act like you covered it in a few bullet points. So we created the Girls Gone Strong Academy and we have two certifications, one that covers women across their lifespan. It's our women's coaching specialist certification and one that covers women specific to the pre and postnatal period. So we talk about coaching, psychology, anatomy and physiology, nutrition, exercise, rest, recovery, all that kind of stuff in those two certs. And we talk about things that other people aren't talking about. We talk about women feeling guilt and shame in their bodies. We talk about how your clients might not be showing up for their sessions because they're doing more labor than their partner and their spouse. We talk about pelvic health. We talk about menopause. We talk about, you know, digestive issues. We talk about disordered eating within a scope of practice of a trainer. Like we talk about all of the stuff that people that are genuinely affecting women's lives day in and day out at health and fitness professionals, you know, haven't, haven't learned anywhere else. So that's kind of the that's, that's my day job and uh, running, running Girls Gone Strong with my partner, Casey. And a couple of years ago, I gave a speech about strong women lift each other up at a conference in Melbourne, Australia. And the response was so overwhelming that the universe was like, that's not a speech. That's a book. And I'm like, but I don't have time to write a book. They're like, 
you have to write the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of those things. It was like itchy. Like it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. I was like, I don't have time to write a book. And it's like, oh, you're going to write this book, whether you like it or not. And I got to the point where I couldn't live with myself if I didn't kind of thing. Like it's the thing that I would want to be known for, remembered for. If something happened to me tomorrow and I wasn't here, it's like the idea I would want to leave behind because within the Girls Gone Strong community, um, we've found that. I, sorry, I got one last thing to say. I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I, 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 oh, I, got, I got all the time. So you take your time. It's, it's all yeah. good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Women, <laughs> women they want to create change. They want to create change in their own lives and they want to create change in the world. I was hanging out with a friend of mine about six months ago and she's a successful attorney and her husband has a great job and she has a son and she really likes her life and her work. And she's, but we were going for a walk and she's like, I don't want to sound ungrateful. I like, I like, I love my job. I, you know, I obviously love my son. I love my husband, you know, I love our house. And she's like, I just, I just feel like I was made for more than what I'm doing. I just feel like there has to be something bigger, a way that I can help. Like so much is going on in the world. I want to create, so I want to help. She's like, maybe I can join the board of a foundation or something like that. And so I've just, having this massive Girls Gone Strong community, I'm privy to all of these critical conversations with women. And I think there are three reasons that they don't do the thing. They don't pursue the change that they want to make. And one is they don't know how, they don't know the thing to do. Number two is they think they're only one person and they can't make a difference, which is why talking about embracing the small and simple is so important. And number three, they're afraid of being criticized, that they're going to do the wrong thing. They're going to say the wrong thing. People are going to make fun of them. Someone's going to tell them they're doing it wrong. Right. And so the goal of this book is to is to give them what to do to help them see that small and simple things add up and to help them understand that, yeah, people probably are going to, you know, say something or criticize something, but you can handle it. You know what my, my dad used to say, it's not baby. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to that counts. And that was so powerful for me because it has allowed me to say like, people can say, you know, what they want to say, but like, I know who I am and what I'm here to do. And so helping women understand and giving them the actual steps that they can take to create that change is so important because we are all needed. We need people protesting and marching and innovating and raising money and hosting podcasts and making beautiful art. I was watching something about the Vietnam War yesterday, uh, last night. One of the soldiers made art to convince these villagers to join, like made songs and art to convince these villagers to join their like their kind of group or whatever to, to, to be part of their kind of regime within it, like literally songs. He wrote songs that convinced soldier people to leave their family and become soldiers in this thing. Like, like every, everything that we do is needed to create the kind of change that we want to create. So me saying, Dr. Stephanie, you're doing it wrong because you just host a podcast. It's like your podcast is crushing it, but not everybody can host a podcast, right? So we need other people doing other things. So the the point of, or the purpose of the book I was hoping is to give people what to do, to show them that they matter and that they're powerful, to help them understand that when they're steadfast in their values, they'll feel good about the work that they do in the world um, and to teach them how to create change in their own lives and the lives of, of other women. What you're doing is so important. And let me just, uh, I'll sort of finish off our conversation today by saying it has been such a pleasure to speak to you. I mean, you are not only uh, well-spoken, you've really thought 
about a lot of these things and you have a lot of data to draw on in your community. And a lot of the examples that you gave in the book, like I was like, me too. Like, oh my gosh, like I totally get this. Like I felt so connected to you reading this book because, you know, for a variety of reasons, very similar stories, but the conclusions that you make it's, it's obvious that you've spent a lot of time thinking about them. It's obvious that you've spent a lot of time sorting through, uh, you know, and making the, you know, and making the, the, a stepwise, almost like a template for people to follow in order to first get it right with themselves so that you can get it right um, with the world. So thank you. If this is the, if this is the last book you write it, man, it was a doozy. It was amazing. And it was a pleasure oh. to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the important work you do. Thank you for the amazing humans that you and Geo are. I know you all are constantly doing things to lift people up in your lives without expecting anything in return. And you've built such incredible, supportive, uplifting communities of Bettys and superheroes. And it's just, it's so fun to witness. And I am grateful for, um, yeah, for all the kindness you all have extended me for having me on your podcast and for being incredible role models of people who lift other people up. So thank you for having me. And hopefully we'll get to meet in person at some point. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. The book is coming out when, and where can people find it? Oh yes, that's a book. Yeah, yeah we, March we March ninth, March ninth, twenty twenty one is when it comes out, and they can go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book, and it's available um, right now in six countries: so U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany, Australia, and New Zealand. Hopefully, as it sells, it'll be available in even more. But if they go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book, they will. Um, it'll they'll be taken to a page where they can find the retailer in their country and the one that they want to buy from. Perfect. Thank you so much, Molly. This has been just a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope that you can see now why I had such a great time with Molly and I am so happy to support her in her book endeavor and I hope that you will as well. And I wanted to follow up and leave a little, just a little, uh, congratulatory note, because if you've gotten this far in the podcast, of course, you are one of my super hardcore Bettys. And I always love to drop little love notes for you in these outros and just let you know that I'm really proud of you for continuing to invest in yourself and to listen to this podcast to its fruition. And if you are interested in joining my community, my official community of Betty's. It is called Hello Betty. So you can find more information at hellobetty.club. And in this monthly membership, we talk about all things female. So we talk about how to eat like a woman, how to fast like a woman, what are exercises that we can do as women that are going to help us play the long game with longevity. But also, um, and maybe this is something that's really exciting me, is this idea of exploring the female psyche, some of the wounds that we still bring forward, as you see in this conversation we had today, and the divine feminine. And I I tend to attract, no no surprise there, I tend to attract really driven, high-powered women who in our quest for success have often um, divorced ourselves from our feminine energy, that softness, that surrender. And um, in the Hello Betty membership, we go through all sorts of different programming that I create for you. We have thought leaders that come in every month. 
who are teaching some of these ways that we can self-actualize and be fully whole. So if that is something that piques your Betty interest, head on over to Hello Betty, that's H-E-L-L-O-B-E-T-T-Y dot club. And I will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment.